welcome to the Style Defines Us podcast. Today we are with Brianne Delgado. We are so excited to share her with you. She is incredibly inspiring. She is from Detroit, Michigan. She had the opportunity to attend culinary school in high school, moved to New York City, and immediately started working at the Michelin-starred restaurant Rouge Tomate, which was directly across from my old job being my Barney's RIP. <laughs> so we maybe even saw each other you, when we would do You stories. definitely came in for lunch one time. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm almost positive. <laughs> yes, she actually co-founded the Women's March worked at Facebook as a pastry chef and is now the founder of Stir the Nation. She considers herself a chef divist and she was recognized by Glamour as the Woman of the Year, International Woman of the Year by Harper's Bazaar as Amazing. Glamour Woman of Okay, wait. It was two it. different. Oh, God. Yeah. Two, oh, God. Two different awards. Okay, there was the Glamour Women of the Year and then the Harper's Bazaar International Women of the Year. Wow. Even better. Bravo. That's so <laughs> Thank fabulous. You. Thank you. I, it still feels weird saying it, even <gasps> all these like months yeah. later. Uh, amazing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you're incredibly humble. So let's dive right in. Tell us everything. How did all of this happen? <laughs> Oh my God. Where do you begin? <laughs> no, but seriously though, where do we begin? And I do, I just want to start this off like very authentic in saying, I think that when you have had like such um, multifaceted aspects of your career, sometimes it can be really challenging, especially when you're trying to think, okay, I did this, I did this, like all these pieces are part of me, and now how can I channel this into this new version of myself? And that's something that I've been really diving deep in with 2020. So yes, like it sounds very uh, like, look at all these things, and she's a chef and she did this and this and this but um it's also on the flip side of that sometimes it can be challenging and i think a lot of um especially women in new york where oftentimes we do have to evolve ourselves we do have to um get creative and sometimes turn our side hustles into like actual income or sometimes even we do that and then we realize actually i'm really good at this or i really enjoy this and then that can further explore um a little bit deeper into what you're passionate about. So for me as a chef, you know, I worked 10 years in the industry. I came from Detroit, um, always dreamed of being a chef in New York, always dreamed of having my own business here. And now it's like, okay, that that's happening right now. Like I'm in that, but it looks so much different than I imagined it was going to be when I moved here in 2011, which is both exciting, but can be also very intimidating sometimes so I think it's important as women to talk about that well and when you're so young and you are awarded these you get these big awards and everything that's you have this responsibility too like yes, what yes. you did sort of changed the world by accident almost and now do you just say okay now I'm gonna go make some more pastries you know <laughs> now it's so serious yes. like all this people are looking to you like you're our leader <laughs> you know what it's, it's so funny you said that because I actually had a moment it was it was literally like 
two weeks after the original Women's March, January 2017. I was a culinary director at this cooking school in Hoboken, New Jersey. Mm. And I, you know, I somehow found a way to like plan the march and like be teaching cooking classes on the side on top wow. of having my own personal business, which I was at the time doing candy rings, which then um, I was on Undercover Boss with oh, Marcus neat. Samuelson with that. And wow. I was doing, yes, and I was doing... Um, uh, these cookies that looked like iPhones and I would screen print people's um, wow. Instagram campaigns or their Instagram feeds on the iPhone using edible ink. But all that to say, wow. it was I was doing all these things and then, you know, the Women's March happened and I knew I wanted to, as soon as I saw there was going to be a march in D.C. Immediately, I was like, okay, what can I do? How can I get involved? How can I help? I want to be a part of the solution. And then when that turned into what it turned into, um, and a lot of people like to you know hear that story, but I mm-hmm. think it's also important to hear the story of what happens to you yes. after yes. a big moment like that. And for me, I went to go teach my next cooking class. It was pasta pasta making two, I think it was, like the more advanced pasta. And I was on my way to New Jersey to teach the class, and that's when the Muslim ban happened. And this was Trump's first big move as the new president. And again, like a very, very in line with everything he said he was going to be doing. So all of a sudden, I'm getting text messages from people saying, okay, JFK, who can be there in the next hour? Oh, oh. Who knows lawyers? Who who can bring markers and Sharpies? And we need this, and we need oh. that. And I'm like, oh my God, oh. I have, and, and here I am like showing people how to make a bolognese sauce right. when all of a sudden all this stuff's happening <gasps> and I couldn't be there. Right. And immediately that's when I knew, okay, after this class, I need to seriously reevaluate my life and my priorities. And that was when I decided to really put pause uh, on my career as a chef in that moment and just dive full on into trying to create change in the world. Mm-hmm. That's huge. That's huge. You know, that's a huge decision. And since your career started when you were so young, have you had any issues regarding your age at all? Oh my God, have I ever. (laughs) You know, I just turned 30 this year and I'm like, I'm a 30 year old woman, like finally, like, cause I feel like even when I was 18, I mean, I'm a very old soul in general. Like I literally wear my my grandma's jewelry and like her old clothes and I love vintage. Like I was born probably in like the 1920s. So maybe it's good that I'm like living in the 2020s, but um, (laughs) I, yeah, I all the time, I very, very young. And it's interesting when you look back on these moments you know when you're young you're sometimes in it and you don't always process what's happening to you and now looking back on some of these situations I'm like oh my god like for instance this was back when I was working in Detroit I was working at this bakery and I was like can I swear on here? Sure. I was kicking ass. Like I, I was kicking ass. I learned how to ice a cake in 30 seconds because like wow. there was just so much demand. Like I was pushing and I was like 
19, 20, or I just turned 20, I think, because it was the year before I moved to New York. So I was like, cool, I'm 20, I'm young, but I was like moving up and I was running that department. And when there was a sous chef opening, I was like, this is mine, I got this. And then some guy who I, who I was friends with and I mm-hmm. liked him, but he was older, he had a house, he had dogs, he had a husband, and he got the job. And when I asked, I was like, look, I'm happy for mm-hmm. this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm happy he's going to be part of the team, but I'm just trying to understand why I didn't get this mm-hmm. position. Mm-hmm. And you know what I was told? Oh, John's got a mortgage. Oh, my gosh. John's got a mortgage. Really and truly. I mean, yeah. you hear about these things happening, but it really happened. <laughs> it really happened. And, and of course, like I said, I was 20. I mean, I remember being pissed. Sure. And that was like my fuel to be like, I need to get out of here because I, yeah. which ultimately led me to New York because at that time there was, there yeah. was just no work in the industry. Everybody was leaving. Most people were going to Chicago. A lot mm-hmm. of people were coming here. Mm-hmm. But I knew that if I wanted to be taken seriously as a chef, then I needed to go where the chefs were and hoping that maybe all of the songs and all the movies I had heard about New York and saying, right. if you put the work in, it pays off and it can be hard. But I, but I'm like, if I'm putting this work in anyway oh, yeah. and I'm not advancing, then I might as well be swimming with the sharks right yeah that's that's interesting young and a woman you had two things going against you yeah definitely Mm -hmm. definitely and and it's even more um it's even more difficult for chefs of color especially women Mm -hmm. of color that are Mm -hmm. chefs Mm -hmm. and it's interesting right now because we're seeing a lot of the industry start to shift and Mm -hmm. it's exciting that Mm -hmm. we're seeing more chefs of color step Mm -hmm. up into the spotlight and be highlighted for their food and their history Mm -hmm. and being unapologetic even about um their cuisine Mm -hmm. and the flavors and like yeah this is how it's made sorry if it's not (laughs) to your liking this is this is right exactly (laughs) but um yeah it's just interesting to see the conversation shift and i'm so excited just for women in general because i think it doesn't matter what industry you're in and that's one of the things I'm so proud of with the Women's March sure. is I really do feel like that was a huge point. And yes, there was a lot of women doing work already and especially of course. especially the women of color forever. Um, but to have that galvanizing moment that essentially allowed for women to say, you know what, enough's enough. Right. And it wasn't an accident that a year later, like we saw the Me Too movement Everything. revive. and Perfect we saw, storm. Yes, exactly. And now we're starting to see more statistics around how, how many women are in C-suite positions, how many women-owned companies getting are getting Oscars the funding. Ex- for yeah. direct. Oh my God, yes, yes, exactly. Um, yeah, I think that it is a fascinating time. And the stories, and I think too, like, chefs you're you're getting the chef's story like she is a woman this is where she's from this is what has influenced her cuisine these are the spices that she uses and that's what makes it interesting and different you need to come try it that kind of thing i feel like that makes people more passionate about what they're eating instead of this is in place to be so you know you've got to go eat here this month instead it's like you're really traveling places to taste that cuisine and learn more about that culture and Right. Support. And the storytelling, the storytelling, like that's one of the 
I think the best parts about yes. being a chef is yes. when you're able to communicate that through your food. Through your food, yeah, yes. and in really embracing that and and being in an environment where that's allowed to be embraced right. as well. Right. And it's not just oh, you can embrace you know your heritage but only for like family meal and right. not like the actual menu right. for the guests you know exactly <laughs> exactly one time when we were here when i was here with delia i said we're going to go to three restaurants with female chefs and we did king with those girls and then yes, we did um the beatrice Inn. is that the oh one with yeah her? with angie yeah she's, she's hilarious awesome. and then i can't remember the third it will be yours when you open it <laughs> but anyway that was really fun to you know to support that and then, so tell us, you mentioned family meal, and I've learned some of the ins and outs of the kitchen from listening to different podcasts. <laughs> I would not know anything otherwise about Stodge and all the things. So tell us a little bit maybe about, like, the different levels of positions and what, what is family meal? Oh, God, yeah, sure. Well, it's it's funny. I'll never forget when I walked into the Rouge Tomat kitchen, which... Uh, R.I.P. Right. <laughs> like, R.I.P. to that whole block, right. by the right. way. Like, what an iconic New York block. Again, something that now I look back and I'm like, oh, my right. God. Like, like the original Rouge Tomat was the original Copacabana. Oh, like, wow. we would have... We would have oftentimes, especially like elderly, like the old uh -huh. school, like sure, New sure. Yorkers come in and they would, they'd have a couple martinis and then they'd be like, remember that time over there Dean Martin was doing oh, that? So remember neat. that time over there that this, and just the most incredible stories. I mean, Martin Scorsese actually filmed um, that one scene in the um, Godfather, wow. um, not the not the Godfather, Goodfellas. Um, oh, wow, I didn't know right, that. Right, in that that one scene when he's going in the kitchen. Like, yes. that was our oh, kitchen. that's so cool. That was Rouge Tomat's kitchen. I so it was interesting, though, when I walked into that kitchen because, you know, I'm doing the whole, like, fake it till you make it. Sure. You know, no one's got to know. You've never stepped inside a restaurant yes. kitchen before, let alone <laughs> a Michelin star restaurant kitchen and before. And <laughs> And I remember my, um, my boss saying... Um, can you get like a hotel pan? And I was like, yes. And then I was like, what the fuck's a hotel pan? <gasps> oh my hysterical. god! Like I don't know what that is. Oh, that is so and, funny. And just like hoping and praying, I grabbed like the right one, and I did. Thank goodness. Oh, yeah. Um, but it was like a lot of terminology like sure. that. It was almost it's almost like a language immersion right, when you're like, course. what is this jargon? And I know certain things, and and even just um things like family meal mm -hmm. where you're like oh everyone's gonna eat family meal and you're like what is that and so family meal for those of you that, that don't know that are listening is essentially uh what when the staff eats and we oftentimes eat all together because the restaurants oftentimes only close for like a couple hours mm -hmm. like in our case a couple hours between services and in some cases, the restaurants that are always open, they'll just make it and they'll put it in the back. And then whenever you're on your break, you mm. have access to it. But oftentimes, like it is made with food scraps or just whatever's left over. Like, I, I don't know this for sure, but I'm mm -hmm. pretty positive that it was an inspiration for the show Chopped because like literally <laughs> sometimes you're just like, OK, we have all these odds and ends ingredients and sure. we need to use them and we don't have budget to buy extra sure. food. So we're getting creative. Um, but it's also important, too, because that's 
even though it can seem as a bit of an arduous task, like, oh, feed the staff. But at the same time, it's really important because, and believe me, I... Mm-hmm. experienced this once when when family meal like isn't good and makes mm. everyone sick Ooh. and then all of a sudden it, it can take out like everybody wow. in the <laughs> restaurant yes or, or just like or if it's not um even just like nutritionally balanced mm-hmm. um when it's just like kind of leftovers here and there mm-hmm. but it doesn't make sense or if it's not like mm-hmm. nutritionally balanced like that does impact sure. your performance. staff in performance right so it's it's interesting though um i actually one day i'll probably write a book on this yeah, topic you should. because you should. It, there's a lot of psychology behind family meal too and that's something that as a chef, I recently have begun to explore how in those like, quote unquote, prime years of me working in restaurants. And again, like I said, oftentimes family meal is sort of a hodgepodge of whatever's left over and just how that impacted me like psychologically as um, you know, I'm giving so much of myself when I feed somebody, mm-hmm. but then to tell myself, oh, you just get the whatever, you get, you the, get the leftovers, leftover. you get the scraps, you oh, get this, like you, yes. And I think that that is something as an industry we don't mm-hmm. talk enough about, and just yes. how that can affect your art, where you're essentially saying you deserve this, you deserve this, but I don't deserve this, right. and it's. It's something that I'm starting to explore more Which now. Even lower. Yes, and and exploring. You know what? I can make this really nice meal for myself. I don't have to make it just because someone's coming over. I don't have to make it right. just because the client oh, ordered yeah. it. I don't have to make it just because it's a holiday or I'm like trying to impress a guy or something. <laughs> right. Like right. I can I can make this for myself. Right. And allowing myself permission to do that. Yes. Is something to too. So I'm for yourself. I, yes. And yes. You know, after spending the last three years more not in the food space as much and I'm starting to get back into it I'm trying to be really intentional this go around to Mm -hmm. also honor myself and great making myself meals and enjoying the cooking just for myself instead of just giving my art away to everybody else well what's great about that too is one day if you become a mother and everything and on the other end like when you're my age I saw somebody posted something the other day about we are what's left of us after we've given so much to everyone else. Yes. Which is what, you know, women traditionally do. So to be able to say, you know, actually this is just for me. Yeah. I remember one time we were on a, like a road trip and Delia and the other two children were in the car with us and we had stopped and I let everybody get a thing, like a candy bar because, you know, just to, I normally didn't let them have candy, but that day they got to pick out candy and I picked out something for myself too. I remember driving along and I remember them going, well, can we have a bite of yours? No, this is mommy's candy. That's right. I mean, I still remember doing that. I felt terrible because I would have always given that and not had any. And that day I was like, I'm going to have some too. You know, you do need to take care of yourself too. But And again, as women, so oftentimes, yes. and I'm not a mother, but, um, you know, I watched my sister, for yeah. instance, her and I were talking about this over um, the holidays, how it's so imperative to really honor yeah. yourself and put yourself 
first like even before your kids before yes. your partner before your job yes. before your like all of that and it's such the opposite of what we're taught and Brene Brown talks about this all the time oh, too I love I her know. but to just honor ourselves and it's not selfish it, and mm. we're taught that it is and it's actually the opposite it, it is like going against instinct yes. almost you feel so guilty you really yes. do and that's what I what I end up with is the pieces of the women that have given it all. So then they come to me and they're, it's not just their clothes that, that need to be spiffed up. It's like their self-confidence. And, right. you know, a jacket is a jacket. But if a certain jacket, when you put it on, all of a sudden you feel, you know, like, I remember her. That's me. I'm in here, too. You know? Right. And, and it's the most rewarding thing when you um, give people permission and watch them give themselves permission to to just be them. Yes. You know, just remember that I'm somebody all by myself. Um, That's true. What? I know. As a daughter, you you know, you're... And one thing, and you can talk about this, it's kind of similar in to fashion, is that a lot of times the people who work there can't even afford, they couldn't even oh. afford to go eat at <laughs> yeah, meal at right. <laughs> Oh, my God. That was often the case. Although I will say that at our particular restaurant... Not at all restaurants, because mm-hmm. I know this wasn't the mm-hmm. case. But we did, whenever the staff would come in, like, we would hook it up. Like, Good. we would give it the royal treatment, especially in those end days when we knew we were closing. Oh. We were like, everyone come eat. Like, bring your family. Like, that's we got great. you. So, But I think that that's, like, the least you can do. I know it. Right? That's the least you can do. And I don't know how it works in the fashion world, but... You know, it's like a, like a twenty percent off discount. Like right. sometimes it just doesn't cut it. It's like dollars. Yeah, like that just doesn't cut it. You right. know, and to again be in a place where you're like, I'm always on this side of it, and yes. I actually think it's important to experience yes. um, the, the receiving yes. end of it, what and it like? helps you be a better giver. Right. It helps you be a better employee and understand the space more. Right. What I like. What I did. Yeah. Like. Exactly. But again, I think that there's just this mentality which is quite frankly crumbling and that's why we're seeing a lot of these institutions yeah. <laughs> not yeah. work themselves out as people move more to, to direct to consumer uh-huh. but uh, to be able to see that that piece of right. it and not view it as oh this is only for VIPs or only this right. or that like understanding that investing in your staff yes. investing in training making people feel empowered even if that is saying hey you know what it's your birthday like pick something out it's right. fine right. or whatever like just how far that goes what you can do and then the other question I have about the restaurant and then we can move on um, or any restaurant is like because you know, you ask someone when you're a guest or a you know you're there eating, you say do, which one do you like best? Like, do the people, do the servers actually really get to taste what's on the menu? That's what I thought family table was. Everybody sitting down and the chef explaining what they were going to be serving. So that is more of like a um, staff lineup. That's how we called it, uh-huh. um, which was essentially if there was a new dish on the menu or newer dish. Um, mm-hmm you would bring it out and explain it mm-hmm. and make okay. sure that everybody understands it, they, mm-hmm. that they, um, if they have any questions, they understand the allergies. Mm-hmm. But again, they're, they're able to taste it okay. and try it. Um, that's how we always did it, which was, mm-hmm. which was great. Um, and, you know, I think that, again, it's a great tool to understand 
obviously you need your <laughs> you need your staff to understand what that looks like and what it tastes like in order to properly sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be in that full receiving end of like I can actually enjoy oh, yeah. this and not have like twenty hands like Someone fighting else. for a bite of the frozen meringue. <laughs> like I didn't get to try the frozen meringue, Chef Brienne. Right. Can I try the frozen meringue? Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. And so how <clears throat> how does it work? So it starts with a stodge. You basically go in. It's like an unpaid internship. And that's like your test. Yeah. So like for me, and I got a little lucky because so how I did it, I so I was at that bakery that I told you that um, yeah. I, I didn't get promoted because I didn't have oh, a mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was like, all right, cool. I'm out. Um, yes. So I knew I knew I wanted to leave. I knew I had to leave yeah. Michigan. And everyone's telling me, go to Chicago, it's closer. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it is. But I just knew in my heart I wanted to be in New York. And, you know, Mm -hmm. my family immigrated to New York from Puerto Rico. And so, like, I I still had roots and connections here. Like, they lived in the Heights, too. And my my first apartment was in Washington Heights before I moved over (laughs) to the Upper East. Um, But I just, I could just feel, like, a piece of my soul here. Mm -hmm. And... I just was like, why am I going to waste time? I know Mm -hmm. I want to be here. Mm -hmm. Why would I be in some new place for two years only to transition here when I could just Mm -hmm. skip all that? So I spent every... Like last dollar I had on a round trip plane ticket, I told the bakery that I was sick or mm-hmm. or family something I can't remember, mm-hmm. but I lied. Um, <laughs> Just get I lied, and I I came here and I was like, all right, I got to figure this out. But um, before that, I had applied to, I remember I had, like recently turned 21 and I was like, I'm going to buy a bottle of wine okay. and I'm going to try to figure this out. And I had gone on Craigslist at the time because that's how you found jobs. Sure. And I went through Chicago and looked at pastry chefs mm-hmm. um, and applied at the jobs. There was like 12 of them listed or something. And then I typed in Pastry Chef New York and there was 60 some odd jobs. And I was wow. like, this is this is it. Like, yeah. why am I wasting time? So, of course, like, I had a few glasses of wine. I'm like applying to all these jobs. And then the next morning, my phone's ringing at, while I'm at work. <laughs> and it's all these the restaurants saying, wow, can you come in like tomorrow? Can you come in this weekend? Can you? Oh my God. And that's when I was like, yes. And then I'm like, I got to buy this plane ticket. Wow. Um, but, but yeah, so back to how stage works. So essentially, it is a process since. It's not an office job where you like sit and have a mm-hmm. one-on-one interview. Yes, there is a component of that, but since it's more of a skill-based job and mm-hmm. particularly depending on what type of cuisine you're interested in or what angle of the industry you're trying to pursue, like in my case it was pastry. Mm-hmm. So, then you apply to all these positions and the restaurant industry always needs cooks. Like, now I understand why I was getting all those phone calls, like, immediately. Because turnover is so high. It's right. really hard to find help. And so uh, you essentially go through this process where you work for free mm. in the kitchen, depending on what kitchen it is, caliber of restaurant, especially mm-hmm. if you're looking at Michelin star, yeah. sometimes this can be several times. Mm-hmm. It could be an entire week even. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it depends on how bad you want it. At least mm-hmm. this is how it was when I was coming up in the industry. Mm-hmm. Now, I got lucky because I was only in town for the weekend. So I had to set some boundaries and be like, okay, because I was I was doing like two stages a day. Wow. And so I was like, I've got four hours here. Right. And that I got to go. And so I did some of these stages, which I won't name <laughs> the <laughs> restaurants. Some of them are gone. Some of them are still definitely around. Wow. Um, and it's funny, though, because there was a few spots that I thought was going to really work out for me. Mm-hmm. And I was excited. And then when I walked in, I was like, absolutely not. This is not going to work. Like, you could just tell you're not jiving with this team mm-hmm. or just the overall energy is mm-hmm. a little off. Or mm-hmm. maybe even you're like, your food's great. And then you see, like, their method and you're yeah. like, this is not... This is only going to go so far for me. Now, with Rouge Tomato at the time, this was 2011, I walked in there. I saw that they were doing stuff I had never seen in my life. Mm. Like, they were using uh, gluten-free techniques, um, a lot of, like, plant-based, vegan, um, using fruit as uh, mm-hmm. egg replacers, sure. like, like, just stuff I had never seen in my life. And so I was, that was, for me, I I wanted to work there because I knew how to make a full fat dessert with butter and chocolate and make it taste good. That's easy. But when you have a nutritionist that is in the restaurant telling you that every dessert you make has to have 80 grams of fruit, which is a lot of fruit. And then on top of that, you have a Michelin star. So it's not like you Uh. can just like throw fruit on the plate. You have to get creative in how you can get the fruit in. And that's how, that's when you start to use fruit to replace things like egg or um, different flowers or you use... um, concentrated juices or purees mm-hmm. and you sneak them in different ways and uh, making different chips and textures and right. like all, foams like you name it and I learned so much at that job it was I mean now I look back and I again I just feel so fond of those memories and right. especially now that we're seeing this is the norm I mean we were the wild right. ones at that time like we were cutting edge and People liked the location, especially because a lot of folks there in the fashion world are like trying to be more health conscious. So they just walk in and be like, oh, it's vegan. Cool. Or I can get I can feel good about this. Great. But there was um, there was a lot more uh, to that uh, restaurant that I learned that I never Mm -hmm. imagined I would even be carrying these techniques with me to this day. Awesome. That's so great. I wish it were still here. Me too. It was a special time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I feel about Barney's. And it's so interesting that the fashion and the food space is so similar. Like Barney's, I was at home. I had just gotten my wisdom teeth out, and I was thinking, okay, well, I'll just go ahead and apply today, thinking that I was going to move to New York in like two weeks. And then everyone started responding and saying, great, can you come in tomorrow? Oh, really? Yes. So it yeah. See how it works in fashion, yep. too. High turnover. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And then it's also this sort of, I think, yeah, you know what? That makes sense. Because 
again, New York is attracting a certain type of mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. They're driven. Yeah. They're making they're willing to make sacrifices. They're willing to pursue their dreams. And when you're pursuing your dreams, you'll do anything. Right. And <laughs> like true. just like even in the restaurants, like the entire staff that was on um, mm-hmm. front of house, like they were all trying to make it on Broadway. Like every Be single sure. one of them. And some of them did. Like I've seen some of them. I'm like, Have let's fun. go. Like um but yeah, I think it's the same thing with fashion. Like they know how bad you want it and you have right. to just get your foot in and people take advantage of that sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're like, you know, they go like Anna Wintour on you. Right. <laughs> but you're also like You don't respond in twenty four hours. We have someone else right. waiting. But then but then it might drive you crazy, but at the same time, why else did you move here? <laughs> like, right. sometimes you have to go through that. And yes, it, it needs to be temporary. You have to find when too much is too much. Right. But I think it's a healthy thing when you first move to the city to be having that kind of um, hustle, that kind oh, yeah. of mentality of if I don't. If I don't keep up, somebody's gonna surpass me, and like this is my shot. This is it, and to take that momentum and like yes. really channel it into making your dreams happen. Fire in your belly, absolutely. And so, what are the different levels in a kitchen? Oh, it again depends on which okay. kitchen, but um, typically how it works is you know you have your line cooks, which are the the real heartbeat of the kitchen quite frankly like those are the people that are constantly showing up actually making your food um, and then you have a more middle role where uh, this person is essentially the liaison between the sous chef and the cooks. So this is oftentimes like some sort of step up from well it is a step up from being just a cook because mm-hmm. you have a little more responsibility but oftentimes this is on the path to mm-hmm. a sous chef mm-hmm. position mm-hmm. which the sous chef is the person under the executive chef now the sous chef oftentimes like is a mixture of roles so you are oftentimes doing menu creation um, you are in charge of a lot of delegation delegating to the rest of the mm-hmm. cooks um, and then liaising with that middle role, the entremet is a lot of mm-hmm. times what it's called. Um, and, and then you have obviously like the executive chef. Mm-hmm. Now it's so funny. Like I just want to set the record straight mm-hmm. for any of you that are <laughs> saying I want to be a chef, which great, mm-hmm. but just know too when you get to that executive chef role. They don't tell you this, but like you're hardly in the kitchen. You're hardly in the kitchen. And this was something that when I became the executive pastry chef at Facebook, I was (laughs) I quickly realized because you are the one that has to essentially conduct the orchestra. You know what I'm saying? Mm, Sure. You're it's your vision. You're trying to. ensure that the staff is doing their job you're tasting things you're ordering you are like working on special orders or projects or forecasting things like martha stewart's coming like we need to make sure we have our stuff together um (laughs) which yes that happened and it was like the most exhilarating but intimidating day of my life but like she liked my stuff and it was awesome I actually um I have her book I have to show you guys this one second show me show us 
so this is like a full circle moment for me. One of my favorite stories. So I'm holding here for those of you listening, the Martha Stewart Baking Handbook, okay? This, I'm just telling you right now, if you are interested in pursuing pastry, this was my first pastry one-on-one class. Like, everything in this book is, like, save yourself thousands of dollars and just bake your way through this book because, seriously, it is every culinary school Baking 101, it's all of these recipes. So it's just like, bake your way through this. If you love it, then maybe you should become a pastry chef. Um, (laughs) Or just, you know, make everybody around you love you even more. Yes. So I did that. I like baked my way through this. You can see it's all tattered, a lot of love. (laughs) And going back to just those moments when you sometimes realize, oh my God, like, this is happening or this just happened or even just (laughs) processing things that happened months or years ago even uh and she came to facebook and eva chen who um Mm -hmm. works at instagram but she was still a little new to the scene i feel like i was one of the first people that she made friends with since i was the pastry chef so she was like (laughs) facebook has an in-house pastry chef let's be friends (laughs) so so she was like um martha is coming and like i told her about your desserts and she wants to meet you i was like oh my god like martha freaking stewart (laughs) and so i made like it was around Halloween, I remember. So we made like Halloween stuff, but then also made uh, something from her new book because she was uh, advertising some new book. Mm-hmm. But then also made like some of her tarts or something. I can't remember. But but meeting her and just being able to tell her yes. that honestly, Martha, thanks for this book because this is what gave me an edge when I did end up going to culinary school. I was like the star student wow. in those first couple classes because cool. I knew from Martha's book. <laughs> so she signed it. That's so fun. She said to Brienne, enjoy these recipes. That's so great. And and then it was wild too That's because really fast forward then, so that was 2015 that she signed that. And then in uh, 2017, yeah, 2017, that spring, I, um, part of Glamour, I was asked to be a part of their college women of the year, where essentially a college student was paired up with a um, mentor. And so they asked me to be a mentor to this girl, Ellen, who's this DJ. She's amazing. She's from Malawi, and she's living there now. But she has this nonprofit where she essentially um, galvanizes the women and young girls in Malawi sure. with art. And amazing. Just, yeah, it's, it's incredible. So anyway, I was like her mentor and then who is at the table i mean not to mention like robin roberts katie uh-uh. Couric, like uh-uh. like no big deal but martha stewart like rolls up like the last guest she comes she says her few words and then she's got to go to her next gig but i was like hold up and yeah. i ran up to her <laughs> and she's like no more photos or whatever and i'm like no it's martha it's me <laughs> i'm the girl the chef from facebook and she's like oh my god like why are you here you know kind of and i told her like i you know ended up being the women's march founder and like and she was like wow that's amazing but it's just funny how like 
those stories yes, happen yeah and then and those are the moments where I'm like god like this is why you make the sacrifices this yes. is why you put the hard work in that's right because you really you really do never know right you never know you could end up meeting some of your heroes yes over yeah, and over again definitely and you are other people's hero and you're yeah. so young it's just crazy Back when I was the pastry chef of Facebook, I was like, did you say you just turned 30? Yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. Oh, my gosh. And so tell us, how did co-founding the Women's March come about? There was some grandmother. In- yes. Yeah. Teresa Shook. She is, she lives in Hawaii. She's a lawyer, grandmother. And she, this was back when the pantsuit nation thing was having a moment. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of missed some of that part because I was like still in the no. industry. <laughs> no, no. Um, but but yeah, like it, it was right after the election, and she called for this march in D.C. because she wanted to invite her, or not invite. She wanted to march with her granddaughters. So she originally called it the um, Million Woman March, yeah. and. And it was actually really problematic (laughs) because the Million Man March was a very symbolic, historical march that happened in the black community. And it was another example in the beginning of those beginning stages of the Women's March coming about how we were like erasing we were erasing a lot of the work that had happened before us specifically in the civil rights movement yeah which was why like very quickly too we brought in other women of color to lead and to uh, bring these people that have been in the space before being able to have someone like dr bernice king like on a conference call with all of our state organizers to essentially give her blessing and guide us into passing um the baton her father had dropped in her own words she said that um so that being said um i had seen this march was happening and a friend mutual friend of mine had posted about it and uh, yeah a mutual friend that i had had posted about it with that was friends with Teresa. Mm -hmm. so anyway I, i came across the page and right away i saw it and said okay this is this is part of the solution and I want to be a part of the solution. So I messaged, how can I help? What can I do? Now, remember, I wasn't currently at Facebook, but I had just left there. And on my Facebook profile, it still said I worked at Facebook. So I think that now looking back, whoever was vetting that process at the time, was like oh she works at facebook like cool she can like run everything because she because at this point the page was starting to go viral right and so i was essentially handed the page (laughs) one of the people handed this a host of this page to grow and Little did I know that that was the start of me becoming the field director of the whole operation and eventually the global director as that expanded even more. Um, But yeah, I was like, I'm the I was a pastry chef at Facebook, not an engineer at Facebook. (laughs) But sure, I can I can I can uh, message people or um, try to find people to run their pages. No problem. So essentially how the process that we had come up with (laughs) was typing in there okay 
we need um, pages for the following states. Iowa, Mississippi, Mm -hmm. Tennessee or something. And then I'd get like 900 messages and I would open one and it would be like, hi, I'm Mary from Tennessee. And I would be like, congratulations, you get to run the page. Like, (laughs) like it was literally like that. There was no vetting. (laughs) No time. (laughs) There was no time to. Exactly. We were all just trying to do what we could do. And yes, that caused some problems. But for the most part. It worked because people did, as we saw the the over 700 marches that happened around the world and on every single continent, too. And so for me to, um, again, talking about processing and I look back on some of these things, I'm like, oh, my God. And we do have a book about it called Together We Rise, where we document some of the stories because, I mean, I'm just one of many women that was a part of this. And while I might have been like one of the original folks, like we all were going through different experiences. Like you have to understand there was a point where all of a sudden we realized, wow, we need to make a rally part of this. We need to have programming. And that's when we brought like power. Paula Mendoza and Ginny Suss and we were bringing in folks that have been in the the art space in the music space Mm -hmm. to help coordinate that so like that's kind of when their journey started and then Mm -hmm. their stories and everything that they went through like it's so interesting to um, just all the different facets of pulling something like this off and then on top of it I think it's really important to remind folks that so this happened essentially this process started just days after the election and we formally all met the the women in new york city mm-hmm. that had essentially because Teresa at one point at pretty early on was like look i only invited uh like a hundred people to this thing and now all of a sudden it's getting crazy and i didn't sign up for this and a that's big. a little too big like i'll be there but yeah y'all can take this over so so we all met at the Gansevoort downtown wow. <laughs> on the rooftop, um, and we all met, and that's when that planning process started. And it was really interesting too, because uh, you know you don't you don't know like what you're about to embark on. You're right. with these folks you never met, and some of them had known each other and had worked mm-hmm. with each other before. But for me, I like didn't know anybody. I was, and I, I remember I went to that meeting and I was between classes. I was like, all right, I got 20 minutes and I got to go back to New Jersey and teach <laughs> pasta making one or whatever I was teaching. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, like this essentially, we started to come up with the process and who would be in charge of what. I was in charge of the field and essentially making sure people got to D.C., The thing, though, was not everyone could come to D.C., and quite frankly, it's good that we ended up making this move, and I don't even want to say I made it because Mm -hmm. this was a decentralized movement, so everybody in their own states were like, okay, if I can't come to D.C., I'm just going to... Do it there. We're going to do it here. How do I do this? How do I get a permit? How do I make sure that we're safe? How do I make sure we get hand warmers so people's hands don't freeze? Mm-hmm. Or whatever whatever the logistics are. So this started happening as well. But then I started getting messages from women in London, in Australia. Wow. And being like we want to have a march too and how do we do this we want in on this and some of it was expats but then a lot of it too going back to 
us being able to galvanize people, allowing permission for people to show up for the issues that they want to talk about, to vocalize about. We allowed, helped allow that to happen. And what was so powerful is that you're seeing women especially lead in parts of the world that, quite frankly, had... It, their issues had nothing to do with Donald Trump becoming president. Right. It had nothing to do with what was happening in America, period. They were fed up and sick and tired, and they're like, this march is happening. Like, drive. we're going to, yeah, exactly. We're going to show up as well. Right. So that was the start of the global mm-hmm. arm of everything that happened. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, getting that call from the scientists in a- Antarctica, the female scientists in Crazy. Antarctica that wanted to have a march because they were worried that their program would be eliminated with the new administration coming in. And so they wanted to march to protect Mm -hmm. their data, to protect their rights to continue researching and fight for that funding. And I remember we had to register their march in New Zealand because they were again they were worried that the Trump administration wow. would sure. defund them wow. and so they didn't want yeah and they would uh, restock in New Zealand so that's why they did that um, but Trump ended up defunding their program anyway oh, so no. they're no longer there <gasps> a lot of them are in California doing other research and such but it's just oh, it's just interesting to look back on those moments right. and again that sense of urgency of we have to take action because lives are at stake yeah work is um uh, like in their case their work was at stake but right. but lives are at stake too like when oh, we're talking sure. about climate change we're, we're, whether we're talking about race and like s- things like the muslim ban and like just these these right and these the right tools right these tools that are dividing our country like it's yeah. not uniting them at all right. um but yeah it was just so powerful and I'm so grateful mm-hmm. to have been a part of the global aspect because then following the march you know I had the amazing privilege of traveling around the world and like wow. doing work like I was in Italy several times I was in Japan I I was doing work with not only um, chapters that were uh, part of the March global chapters, but then also organizations, NGOs that were also wondering how we could keep the momentum going or how, what's like, for, next? right, what's next? Like, when I was in Italy, I was speaking with FIOM, which is the Metal Workers Union, advising them a bit uh, and trying to motivate and empower their union efforts. So it's just interesting to again understand that while like there might be a lot of cultural divides like mm-hmm. at the heart of it people are people are people and especially the women the, to see the women and understanding that women are on the front lines no matter where you are Always in the world like quite frankly if you're looking at any kind of change in community like I was in Kenya last year and looking at the women just embrace that community aspect and provide and understanding how like how that really makes their ecosystem go and when you look at the studies of especially around climate change why women are so disproportionately affected by that Mm -hmm. it's because we are oftentimes like the ones again leading the community we are with the family we were we're the ones 
and then also why you see women's women often are refugees too because like they take their family and they they get out because they have to like it's life or death and they make those sacrifices and it's why it's so troubling when you see uh you know even what's happening in the border right now mm-hmm. and you when i was in mexico too like I, I, you just you see these stories and you see the common threads and you understand to look at people for who they are mm-hmm. and at the heart of that and the humanity and for me like that's the driving force in my work mm-hmm. is like getting back to that aspect of just common humanity and trying to like look past some of these um stigmas and prejudices that have been put up like and a lot of times in that like patriarchal mm-hmm. way Oh my gosh, so what is Stir the Nation? So Stir the Nation is, so this is my new baby, going back to just... Well, that's going back, so great floor with all of this. Yes. And then there you were as a chef, and you're like, what did I do with all of this? Exactly, and even just going back to how, like, I started this conversation with the podcast, like, this is still evolving, but Stir the Nation is essentially an agency that uses food at the intersect of social impact. So for me to be able to be working with brands and companies that are looking to use social impact, especially in 2020 in this new decade, and quite frankly, you have to. Like, I feel like if you really want to um, not just be successful, but also really resonate with folks, Mm -hmm. especially with like millennials, Mm-hmm. And the young, yeah, mm-hmm. you have to be at that intersect of social impact. Like, you can't just be putting out sneakers. Like, they need to be made from recycled plastic bottles. Right. Like, like that's how people are, that's what we're looking for right now. Right. Conscious consumerism. Right. And so, with me for Stir the Nation, it's being able to advise on this, but also use food as a tool to drive these conversations. Helping curate dinners where you can bring um, people of different backgrounds together, or with a brand, maybe if they are, like, for instance, if if it's like an H&M situation where you're just, I mean, there's a lot of problems with the brand like H&M, sure, but sure. specifically like when they did that um, sweatshirt yeah. that was like just so uh, problematic on so many levels. And they were so um, clueless. I'm and sure. so clueless. Right. Clueless. And you're like, do you have any, there clearly wasn't one black no person clue. in that room no <laughs> when they, you made that design right. approval. Right. So it's things like that where, okay, how can we take, um, people uh, that are being excluded from your brand or not being heard or maybe you're trying to reach and help Mm -hmm. have those conversations or on the other side too which I think is also equally important even having these conversations internally which goes back to our conversation of how important it is to invest in your staff Mm -hmm. and invest in that work into creating a workplace environment that is intersectional that is inclusive Mm -hmm. that people feel like they really can be empowered in and so all of this we're seeing and especially the last three years we've been seeing a lot of workplace cultures having having some divides right and having some tensions and 
you know, the Me Too movement. People are like conversations, culture is shifting quickly. And, you know, for me, with my experience to help ease that and navigate that from real world experience and actually having that field experience too to help navigate those conversations and using food. Because the thing is, the thing is for me, like when as soon as I say I'm a chef, it doesn't matter and, and this is a privilege of mine like, to be able to say sometimes in certain spaces where I know, like, for instance, I was um, in Israel uh, doing some work out there and I was leaving the airport and <laughs> I was being questioned and Israeli um I don't know if I should be saying this out loud even, but Israeli uh, securities is like notoriously known for obviously like being intimidating and mm-hmm. being very strict is probably one of the most intense mm-hmm. security screenings I've ever gone through. Wow. They were literally going through my passport and mm-hmm. being like, why were you in Kenya? Why were you in Malaysia? Like, ah. all, anyhow. But for me to be able to say, oh, I'm a chef and, you know, I, I like to cook it. I like to explore it. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're a chef? Okay, cool. Like, right. got it, got it, got right. it. You know, as if I'm like, I'm an activist and I'm working with all these right. women's rights groups in these countries. And right. like, that could right. be a lot right. more problematic. But, but even to go into spaces and just say I'm a chef and people automatically oh my god I just watched I just watched this movie or do you watch the show or I love this person or I read this book and it's a it's a icebreaker it's it's a way to crack people open but it's also like I feel like because Delia and I feel like um, there's so many things that we feel strongly about certainly about women supporting women but we don't we don't want to do it in an angry way. And right. to me, being a woman and food and gathering people together and comforting them and saying, we hear you, and these are some things. Let's get together and figure out how we can work this out. Absolutely. I think it's brilliant. Absolutely. And brilliant. it's so needed. And I'm I'm excited because yes. I just feel like this is this is my purpose in this yes. decade and in this moment and all of my experience all has essentially been this. yes it's wow. been leading to this and I feel really grateful to have found a way to merge and marry all of right. these facets of myself right that's it's, it's an incredible story it really is what was it like working at Facebook oh, you know it was it was interesting so some of my best friends in the whole world I met there like I like now looking back I'm like the the people that I met there is people I will always have in my Mm -hmm. life and I'm Mm -hmm. so grateful for that um you know it's interesting so uh, now that I've highlighted a little bit of like burnout culture in the restaurant industry it was a refreshing break to all of a sudden be in this corporate environment that's nine to five essentially and you're just cooking for the staff there's no walk-ins there's no like crazy diners that are drunk and trying to like get a table for 20 people like like all of a sudden you're not dealing with that so it's a lot more of a controlled environment which I think is really healthy when you have been in that hamster wheel sort of craziness um it's interesting though like it's it's not a move that I would necessarily recommend starting the industry in even though it's becoming more common mm-hmm. with just the way the world's moving mm-hmm. um, but it it was it was really great to be able to 
again, kind of recover from the 90 hour work weeks, Mm -hmm. but it was challenging in other ways. And one of the ways was creatively. So the way that we had set it up was, and it wasn't just me, it was the whole entire kitchen. We had it so we wouldn't repeat a meal the entire year. Whoa, you're kidding. Yeah. Why? And because it was just a, we were trying to set ourselves apart from other tech kitchens. We were trying to, at this time, I mean, at the time, like, I was there in like 2014, 2015. Yeah. So, Again, it was a little crazy. We were one of the first tech kitchens. We were the first kitchen in New York City um, for Facebook. Mm-hmm. We opened this kitchen, mm-hmm. um, but we were also one of the first tech kitchens in the New York City area. So it was still a pretty new concept. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why we went so hard. <laughs> but wow. for me, it was challenging desserts because we had two desserts for lunch and we had two desserts for dinner. And so when you do the math, like Monday through Friday, two desserts, four different desserts a day, not repeating anything. I've never even heard of anything like this. <laughs> like, That's I, it, it, it was like the funnest job at times. Like, some of the stuff we did was crazy. Like, we did these like um, cheeseburger cookies <laughs> and like Warby Parker ended up like picking it up or no they did the pizza cookie like yeah there was like there was a lot of like viral so stuff funny. and Eva helped with that too because sometimes she'd like take a pic- oh, uh, yeah. picture or whatever people are like what is going on like when you see your dessert in like Bon Appetit or like Teen wow. Vogue I th- or yeah I think it was a Teen oh, Vogue art- yeah you're like whoa <laughs> this is kind of wild yeah, that's neat um but what was so cool was there was all these Facebook employees that would work at other offices around the world and New York City oftentimes was a hub. So when you get like oh, somebody from Singapore being like, I've been following these desserts for like a year oh and now gosh. I can finally try them. Like, oh my oh, God, wow. like you're you're legendary in the company. Wow. And it was cool too, like even Mark Zuckerberg once like on our internal wow. feed was oh. like, what's with the New York office right now on these Hello Kitty macaroons? Like what is going on? And I'm like, oh. Oh my God. Like, so so cool. So yeah, it was like a lot of cool moments like that. Um, but on the flip side, it was really challenging because, you know, I was in charge of my department because I was the pastry chef. So I brought who I brought in and we had a great team, but it was challenging because it was all men for the most part. Like, like to the point, to the point that I had even formed, I was doing a little activism back then and didn't even know it, but I had formed something called chicks in the kitchen because like, yeah, but there was like 50 employees and there was like five girls like out of it. It was ridiculous. Like there was just no women. And so, to be able to create a space where we could talk about some things that we were dealing with or just even just to have that community really um so that was challenging to find myself that's interesting yeah just being again subjected to a lot of these things that again is really problematic in this restaurant culture that we're seeing shift away from and especially me too brought down a lot of folks in the industry and should have brought down some more but (laughs) things are changing men were answering to you 
Um, well, kind of. I Are mean, you I was their boss. Uh, well, I was. I was one of the chefs. So right. ultimately, yeah. Like when you're a chef in the kitchen, even if you're the pastry chef, like it doesn't yeah. matter if somebody in like pizza yeah. walks by. Like they're like, "Hi, chef." You know, you're you have, right. you have that high hierarchy. Right. right. Um, but but yeah, it was also too like the other men that were chefs as well, and uh, there was very much a bro culture that yeah. I was excluded from. Sure. You know, menu items are being discussed at the strip club. Right. We've heard you know, that I'm missing out on things. Right. It's you're not. You're general. not in these spaces. You miss out on. Or yeah. if you're not smoking weed in the back with everybody else, right. like you miss. Or a cigarette break. It's like nice. all of a sudden, it's like you <laughs> used to be on the golf course. Now. Yeah. And and again, yeah. this is so many industries. Like oh, yeah. this Every isn't. Industry. Yeah. So many industries. Um, so that was definitely challenging for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm. What is your favorite dish to make? Oh my god. I that is like asking me who my favorite child is like that is a very personal question and is and is varying constantly I feel like Um, right now I'm very into making a lot of more plant-based cuisines and Mm -hmm. experimenting with vegan cooking Mm -hmm. which is yeah and and again kind of what we talked about before how at Rouge Tomat when I was mm-hmm. working there like I was doing a lot of uh, that stuff in terms of baking and pastry but now to use these things more for just cooking for myself has been really good and honestly it's right now in this climate we're in like giving up meat or cutting down on meat it doesn't always have to be like a complete 180 mm-hmm. but even if you just eat meet every day and saying okay meatless mondays or twice Mm -hmm. a week or or my lunches are going to be vegan and then dinner i'll make whatever um just little uh uh, changes like that go so far and it's just the biggest thing you can do right now in the fight against climate change Mm -hmm. so i'm trying to uh practice what i preach a little bit and also experiment and find like the love of cooking and techniques and things flavors I Mm -hmm. like because that's the other um, notion I often feel that there's this stigma of going vegan means Mm -hmm. flavorless bland boiled vegetables or whatever and it, it doesn't have to be that way so I'm playing around with that right now. Yeah, that's great. You know, she's a vegetarian. Oh, yeah. Always has been so yeah, whenever I'm with her we eat vegetarian and sometimes we eat vegan and it's it's I remember we were at a vegan restaurant here, Ladybird, which I think closed, oh, but it was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, and I'm great. I call the waiter over there is like, Are you sure this fondue is vegan? Yeah. She's like, Yes, it's cashew. Mm-hmm. Um Oh my gosh. I could definitely just eat that all the time. So good. Yeah. But it's weird. I'm like either a vegetarian or I like like steak, like filet mignon. Yeah. But I don't not much on the rest of it. Meat wise. Yeah, there's those moments. You can never go wrong with a good steak in New York here and there, I I mean. (laughs) It's okay to indulge. Right. (laughs) Right. That's right. What has been your favorite design of a dessert that you've ever made? Ooh, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so funny because just last night, um, I'm doing an interview this week and they asked for some of my uh, just old photos of food I've made Mm -hmm. pictures of me in kitchens and I was going back and I I thought it would be like a quick just go through my photos and it ended up just two hours going through my 
old photos and just archives and just remembering like moments. And I think that's another important thing is sometimes to look back and just realize how far you've come and how far you've grown. And, and as you get older, understanding like patterns and how there really are seasons in life. But Mm -hmm. that being said, uh, (laughs) there was this one dessert that I did, um, that actually got quite a bit of press around it. It was a vegan icebox cake. And icebox Mm. cakes are like very old school nostalgic, like from the 50s. And I like love... I love anything old. So mm-hmm. I remember when I was, uh, I think it was 14. Yeah, I think I was 14 years old. My sister um, was like, I'm going to make your birthday cake. And one of the few times I had someone make my birthday cake, by the way, <laughs> for the record, like, when you're a pastry chef, people don't right. want to make your birthday cake. No. They're scared. No. Um, <laughs> That's but, okay. <laughs> um, she asked what I wanted, and I said, an icebox cake. And my sister was such a champ. She like made the, um, I gave her the recipe too. I was like, make this recipe. (laughs) But she did it all. She made the sable and she made the um, whipped cream and sandwiched them all together. And you essentially, it's like making um, wafer cookies and then uh, whipped cream and you just sandwich it all ice it with whipped cream and you leave it in the ice box which was mm. what oh, they yeah, called yeah, fridges yeah. back then Same. and you leave it overnight and the whipped cream essentially soaks into the wafers and mm. creates this cake like texture um, but it was really popularized especially like when we were going through um, you know just transition in this country and ingredients were a little hard to come by mm. people were trying to use their ovens less and do more shelf oh, stabilized food so this is how this dessert came about so it's not put in the oven at all no <gasps> wow. well well, the the, um, the wafers uh, you oh. have to bake those but uh, sure. Nabisco was actually the one that started this um, whole trend and who knows maybe that's where Oreos came about too I don't know oh, but, wow. but that being said I created a vegan version of this where I made coconut yogurt and then I used um, some science a little mm. some science ingredients wow. uh, to essentially w- whip the uh, yogurt up like it was cream mm-hmm. and then I made the sable with own flour and gluten free flours and that being said and remember this was like 2000. 12 wow or 2013 um so way before this stuff was really being talked about and people went nuts and it was such a great dessert because it was really rich and chocolatey but again it was vegan and people were blown away that it was made from coconut yogurt that was homemade like i would go to the vitamin shop and get probiotics and I would make the yogurt myself. So, but it was a really pretty design to, um, I can send you a photo of it, but yeah, yeah. refinery 29 wrote about it. I remember. That's so cool. I want to see the picture for sure. Yeah, it was really, it was really fun, but that was kind of my dessert that sort of put me a little bit on the map. I would say where people were like, okay, like (gasps) who is this girl? girl? (laughs) What's going on here? Um, but I love desserts or just food in general that have stories. Oh, and yes. for me, like whenever I'm creating something, I try to tap back into a memory mm-hmm. or a story. And, or mm-hmm. like, for instance, like one of the few times a birthday cake was made for me right. and then like des- designing a dessert around that. Well, and like you talked about your, this is your, is it your grandmother's or your great grandmother's china? Oh, this was, yes, my great-grandmother. Your great-grandmother. Yes. So mm-hmm. when I was little, my grandmother definitely called it the icebox. 
I mean, yeah. I remember mm-hmm. the icebox. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we had milk delivered to our back door, oh, and we God. always begged for chocolate milk. Yes. <laughs> and it's interesting to see those systems kind of come back around, right. because they really were a lot more... Um, uh, not only were you able to support mm-hmm. uh, oh, these folks true. directly and create jobs, but then even from a packaging consumer right. point of view, like you just, when you have like reusable glass totally. containers you just that turn are it getting, back in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The only so, thing you threw away was this little paper tab that you took off the top yeah. of the bottle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I loved that. And I loved our milkman. He was so cute. <laughs> it's so funny, Bibi. It sounds like you grew up in the 1800s. <laughs> But really, it wasn't that long ago. This is like the 70s, the early 70s. (laughs) Okay, so tell us about the life in a restaurant. What is the lifestyle like? I know there are very long hours. How in the world can you stay healthy? You know what? Looking back, I didn't. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's important to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I might be standing here today. Like, (laughs) I didn't die, but uh, I feel like I just this past year began to really heal myself Mm -hmm. from that time in my life. And, you know, going back to how I wasn't eating well. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't uh, feet. I wasn't taking care of myself. Everything was just for the customers, for the restaurant, mm. for whatever I had to do to get ahead or um, mm-hmm. try to prove myself what I thought I was doing. Which, mm-hmm. which meant in my mind at the time, was taking time out for myself. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you can't, um, you know, uh, like sit down and. Mm-hmm eat for 30 minutes because mm-hmm. oh my god like you could be doing xyz or in that right. 30 minutes you could have this or that or <sighs> and and now again like and i'm so happy that i feel culture shifting mm-hmm. where we're understanding um the implications of that and even just from a mental mm-hmm. point of view like i don't think it's an accident that right now so many people are really struggling with mental yes. health yes. <laughs> because like it's not just the mentality of give 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 so much of yourself until there's Mm -hmm. nothing left but then also from just pure health point of view when you're not feeding yourself properly when you're not taking care of yourself when you're not giving yourself those moments to just breathe and connect with the present and say it's Mm going to be okay and you're just always in go 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 mode like yes it got me far Mm -hmm. but it came at a price and Mm -hmm. and now when i look back and i really think about the years that I felt really just happy and healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to say that that all just happened without that price mm-hmm. to pay. Mm-hmm. And and now, I mean, I'm really grateful that I made these re- sure. this realization, and I'm starting to nurture myself back. But like like for instance, over the summer, I went to. Um, Mexico for two weeks. Mm-hmm. I had had some just uh, falling out with this business I was trying to do, mm-hmm. um, and it was really painful because I put so much work into mm-hmm. it, and it was just it just kind of fizzled out. And I just went to Mexico for two weeks just to try to reset because so much had been happening mm-hmm. in my life sure. that I was like, "All right, I'm about to like snap, <laughs> so I right. need to like slow down." But it was crazy because in that moment. I realized that after like the sixth day that I actually started to relax. 
And yeah. I had never had taken more than five days off. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes even, you know, people saw, oh, but you went to Japan and mm-hmm. you went this and you traveled and this. And it's like, yeah, but it was all for work. And you're studying. And you're, you're studying. Or, and you're, right. And you're talking, you're networking and, and yeah. you're always on. But to just be able to stop and right. slow down and really just connect with myself. I mean, like I said, it was literally day six that I actually started to feel relaxed. And I realized I'd never taken longer than five days off pretty much in my whole working career, which Mm -hmm. has been since 14. Right. So, and then I think that that's another important thing to talk about that, you know, here, especially in America. Yes. Where the rest of the world, like, understands the importance of taking time for yourself Mm -hmm. to reconnect with you and your family and loved ones and just stay grounded really mm-hmm. and here it's it's just the opposite where it's like oh work 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 make you know minimum wage i'm so and busy i'm so, I'm so busy, busy. That right means you're great you're or, doing well or, but I even mean, even for folks like for me like when i was working in restaurants i mean like that's that is service industry yes. i mean where we're taught like oh don't even think You're about nothing. vacation yeah. until you make sous chef right. or some sort of salaried position. And then oftentimes you don't even get your vacation until you've been there like three to sure. six months or even a year sometimes. It's just insane to think that um, you're supposed to sustain this life without mm-hmm. having time to really take care of yourself and rejuvenate. Mm-hmm. So that's been an interesting journey. And now, I mean, I feel like I've um, spent extra time <laughs> trying to heal those yeah. parts of myself which again I'm grateful to be in a position mm-hmm. where I've been able to do that and take that time because a lot of people haven't right but that being said it's also going back to like the heart of the problem in just workers rights in general and right. how again if we want to talk about uh, the mental health problem in America yes. like I fully believe that a lot of that goes back to food and time off for yourself and that's Mm -hmm. why it's important when we're seeing things like school lunches be Mm -hmm. (laughs) rolled back and Mm -hmm. money's not uh, allocated for our public school system to provide those healthy meals i mean i'm telling you right now a lot of those kids that's their one healthy meal a day right like they're just at home while mom's working five jobs or maybe their dad's not even there and they're just they're reaching in the cabinets and trying to grab what they can to stay afloat and i know because i've been there i've been there so it's a bigger conversation but um God, I don't even remember what the original question yeah, but, was. But it was, but it was interesting about like the fact that it is food, which is sustenance. But when you're working in that industry, sometimes you aren't getting the substance. And the other thing I was thinking about when you said it took like six days. So let's say you even you plan a beach vacation for an entire week. Right. Well, usually, like the first few days, you can't even sit down yes, long enough right. to look at the water. You right. Know, you're you're just, acclimated. What am I supposed to be doing? You know, you're just nervous and mm-hmm. feel like you need to be doing something. It takes so long to relax it. It's almost time to pack up. So it's good that you took two weeks. You know, that's something that people really need. A weekend is not going to... If you sleep for 48 hours on the weekend, that's really not going to do you any good. If you run to the beach for 48 hours thinking that's going to fill you back up, it's not going to do any good. Right. And I remember um, taking a cruise with my family um, uh, like shortly after I had made sous chef. Mm -hmm. And it was crazy. First of all, I remember having to sell... I sold 60 pies for Thanksgiving just to pay for that trip because Mm -hmm. I didn't even have extra, Mm -hmm. even though I was sous chef, like I still didn't have extra money to like come up with 
money for a cruise. Right. Um, but I did that, and and again, it was just it was the same thing. And my family can attest that like I was not pleasant for like the first four <laughs> days of that cruise. Like I was kind of just like a zombie. I would go to the deck, I would f- fall on a, right. a sun chair. And I would just stay there all day, pretty much just sleeping and trying to recharge. And yeah, I wasn't sociable at all. But again, it was like the fourth day that I was like, okay, okay. But yeah, to your point, I think so many people, and again, specifically people that are in like working class service industry, Mm -hmm. domesticated work, that's so often the case for us. It's, It's crazy. And tell us like the hours. So you go in in the afternoon, or do you have to start in the morning? Oh, God, it would depend. So usually, um, you know, when I made sous chef, and again, when you're at that uh, overseeing, Mm -hmm. when you're overseeing the staff, it's important to get there early. So I would usually try to be in by 10, Um, sometimes 12 if, like, I had a late night the night before and I knew we we were in a good position. but how it worked like for me when I was there, um, my boss, he took essentially the lunch shift and then I took the dinner shift. Mm-hmm. Um, but in pastry, <laughs> you're the last course. So when you're talking dinner, sometimes it's tricky because, and this happened so many times, where it would be like, cool, last table just sat, you know, it's 10 mm-hmm. o'clock and you're like, mm-hmm. cool, it's gonna be an early night. And then that table stays forever. Mm -mm. And they think, oh, wow, we have the whole restaurant to ourselves. And they just stay and stay and stay. And here I am, like, Mm -mm. waiting till 2 in the morning for them to pack up, basically. (laughs) You know, like, that happened a lot. So, PSA, (laughs) if the restaurant you're eating at is closing in 30 minutes maybe don't walk in like you you might be able to walk in but like maybe don't or if you do just don't get your food and don't stay because like there is somebody right in the kitchen waiting for you to order the last course so they can leave yes most definitely (laughs) most definitely you look around and you're the last table there get out get out go for for the unless you are like tipping the kitchen directly like if a big which happened some, which happened to me once well that's good which that's, was very nice yeah that should happen <laughs> what have you found were the best ways to sharpen your cooking skills and learn to make something new or a new technique Ooh, this is you know again part of my reflections yesterday when mm-hmm. i was just reflecting on when i was really really uh, embedded into this industry um, but feeling inspired again to say, you know what, how, how exactly can I now mm-hmm. that times are mm-hmm. changing and, you know, it's been a little difficult in this Instagram era because like people are viewing food in, in a different way. And this started to happen when I was working in restaurants, but now it's like another level mm-hmm. where people, um, you know, they appreciate the look of something, mm-hmm. but don't necessarily understand like the techniques or the 
the oh, flavor sure, profiles sure, sure, sure. and and on one hand it's great i mean i do think that it's food is a creative outlet so yes play with your food and of course if that's your hobby or if that's your mm-hmm. way you unwind to relax like by all means mm-hmm. um but it's also created this interesting dynamic amongst chefs where all of a sudden it's like where we were seen as these pioneers of xyz mm-hmm. all of a sudden like some instagram blogger that might not even make like innovative stuff but sure. has all this whatever hype <laughs> you're like is this my is this my competition now like right. what in the world what is this doesn't even go together or like right. you put so much beet juice to make that color that it would taste right. like grass but right. <laughs> but people are going nuts over it right um but now, I mean, I feel like I've kind of tried to move past the shock of that sure, and now sure. trying to find like, okay, yeah. well, people do like that. So people like colors. So now how can I, like, or, or, how can I right. you know, take um, the way the industry's going or the way that people right. are looking to consume food or things that are appealing. Right. And now how can I take my experience and my... Uh, background to create something new so right. it's it's a challenge I mean I think it some days it's easier to get in that headspace and some yes. days it's hard that but is fascinating yeah because like I think about um designers you know yes. their clothes like on yes. Instagram the yes. things that are so bright and shiny that everybody's loving in reality you know that the quality might not be there or people aren't going to really actually get to wear those in their real lives they're going to order them and go this is a costume I've ordered, you know, and the quality mm, and the mm. the true craftsmanship is lost from Instagram. And another thing I thought about, what well, I remember a long time ago, Bobby Brown saying when she watched these YouTube videos with all these people teaching makeup, how to apply makeup, she was horrified. Yeah. She's like, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. And, and they've got millions of views and they're yes. giving incorrect information. Mm. So I guess at some point you just have to say, well, that's a shame. You know, and maybe at some point these people are going to figure out, well, I tried that dish and it was really shiny and pretty, but it tasted horrible, (laughs) you know, and it'll go back to real life. Like this is a real table. This isn't, you know what I mean? Like this is the real product. This is the real plants that it's and the spices and all of the stuff. You know what I mean? Like real life when you really have the quality garment or anything, all these industries, it sounds like are being affected by these snapshots of reality that aren't even really reality you know right and i think to that point it's under it's important to understand where things came from or like how mm-hmm. things like what are the building blocks right. of of how to make a dish or yes. what what really goes into that and look if you want to get inspired by a certain dish mm-hmm. and then just basically tear it all down and build something new like by all means but as long as you understand how it was originally built right like that's kind of where i'm at because i do think it's can be a little subjective with these creative outlets and and look we need more people exploring their creative passions and we need more people uh, you know uh, creating and just understanding that we all have artists inside of us and that's also going to help with like the mental health health crisis and everything else but that being said again there is a certain 
artistry in these things and especially when you look at cultural things of mm-hmm. like cultural recipes mm-hmm. or ingredients or uh, cultural sure. clothing understanding where things came from mm-hmm. this isn't just some pretty pattern like this mm-hmm. is something that is used in indigenous cultures right. and you should understand like right. what this means and it might be pretty and colorful but there's right. something very historic right. and sacred about right. that and understanding the yeah. art yeah that makes a very good point if someone wants to make change how can they go about that oh man i love that question one of my favorite things to do is inspire people to create change because i'm I tell people all the time, if a chef from Detroit could <laughs> be in a history book for mobilizing millions of people across the world, like you can do something too. And for me, it was really starting where I was at. First, that first, that first step is just committing to being a part of the solution, right? And not just complaining about the problem. And that can look different depending on what you're trying to do. Oftentimes, though, it really is just leap before you look. <laughs> you know, you have to just jump in and say, all right, I'm doing this and I don't know how it's going to look like. And this is scary or I I might not even have the tools to do this, but I need to do something. And for me, taking that step was a little easier only because as a chef I'm really used to problem solving and I'm used to like the kitchen burning down and but you know we have a private event in two hours so what are we gonna do like (laughs) you know you have to you have to think on your feet right um but I think it was so what what made it different at least in my case was I was able to use skill sets that I already had in organizing restaurants, delegating, communication, long hours, um, Mm -hmm. just being persistent, not giving up, like all of these things that I daily would use in my career to be able to apply that towards, in this case, organizing the largest single day protest in American history. and. Who would have thought that there would actually be a lot of crossover in that skill right. set? So and I true. think it's important to, you know, specifically with the Women's March, the Women's March was made not just from people that had experience in these spaces, but also people like me, chefs, fashion designers, mm-hmm. yoga teachers, like mm-hmm. you name it, stay at home moms, like everybody was able to use skill sets they had to channel it into making this Mm -hmm. specific moment happen and i think that that's my biggest piece of advice for anybody listening really is when you find those moments where you want to create change and you're just sick of posting about it or talking about it or just reading about it on the news or or maybe dealing with it in your own community and you want to create change Oftentimes it is really just looking and saying, okay, what, what can I do? How can I be a part of this? If you're really social and you have a lot of friends or if mm-hmm. you have like dinner parties all the time or whatever, like maybe that's, that's where it starts, where you already have a big community of people that engage with you. So now it's 
you can engage with them too. So now instead of just having a dinner party, maybe you do create something that's vegan and then talk about climate change and talk about and just see where the discussion goes. I think there's a lot of folks right now that want to help create change, but they need that nudge. And that was the other thing that I really saw with Women's March. We gave permission for people. We talked about this before. Like We gave permission for people to finally say, okay, I feel empowered and emboldened enough to be a part of creating change and showing up. And so it starts there. But I mean, for me, like as a chef, I mean, I didn't even... I didn't even know what Google Drive was, Google Docs, <laughs> yeah. Google oh. Sheet. I didn't know any of that stuff until like 2016. I'm still okay. struggling. Yeah, and, and me too, quite honestly. But to, to even just have moments where I remember these amazing women that worked in these huge tech companies mm-hmm. or these huge whatever, they would be like, how can I get involved? How can I, what can I do? And I would be like, do you know how to make a spreadsheet? And they're like, yeah <laughs> but like what else no. and i'm like no seriously like that's what we need like can you make a spreadsheet of all of the people that are coming on this bus route <laughs> like wow. that would be helpful and they're like really that's it that's nothing And i'm like yes because for me to do that and i tried oh, believe yes, me yes. Hours, hours 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 i don't have yeah so instead of trying because and that's that's where people get roadblocked yes where it's like I'm trying to do something. I have a vision, but, and yes, it's great. We have the internet and it's nice. You can watch YouTube videos and learn, but sometimes you don't have, you don't have the time for that. Or maybe you don't even have the energy, like your energy is being wasted. Whereas this is an easy task for somebody else that might want to get involved. So sometimes it's really just that simple. And, and also too, the other thing I would say, is just simply showing up and asking what you can do mm-hmm. and not showing up in a way of, I'm going to be the answer to all your problems. And <laughs> I'm gonna da, da, da. like, because that's not helpful. Mm-mm. This is like, a, it's a team effort mm-hmm. when you want to create change or it's you starting it and mm-hmm. then waiting for people to come in. And then it's creating that sense of, bigger uh community and a bigger common goal and purpose that you can all exactly leave your ego at home leave the ego at home what energizes you oh honestly like having conversations like this always (laughs) does um it looks a little bit different every day um i'm finding that just being around other strong women's always energizing mm-hmm. when you're able to talk about things and know that you're not alone um and you know i live alone too and i have my own business so it can be very easy to isolate myself so and and when i was burned out it was very easy to isolate myself mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. when you're just on 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 all the time and having to be in spaces speaking and just Mm -hmm. dealing with different personalities and energies constantly, it's really draining. And so really all last year, I I tried to take as much time for myself as possible, but now I'm moving out of that phase of just like, okay, how can I now be finding that balance of Mm -hmm. showing up for myself, but then also showing up for other people. Um, One thing that's also been energizing me lately is podcast too. Like I know Mm -hmm. we're on one right now, but but like it really is helpful. It's nice to listen to other people's stories Mm -hmm. and experiences and be like, I'm not alone here. Right. So that's energizing. Yeah. 
It's so great that you realized that you needed to take the time. Like if you don't take the time to listen to yourself, to let yourself think, you won't ever know what is the next step. Like you said, there's these different seasons, but if you just keep moving and moving and moving and you don't stop until it's so late, you you know, you should have moved on to something else earlier or, you know, you can't be creative when you're worn out. Exactly. It just takes you into madness. And, and also too, I think it's important to note that when you are worn out and you don't have those moments of checking in with yourself, mm-hmm that's when it's easy to get pushed around by other people. That's when right. it's when other people's vision of what they think you should be doing right. gets shoved on you. And then that clouds your judgment. It clouds your discernment. That's interesting. You lose that connection of what is it that Brienne needs? What is it right. that Brienne wants to do? What is Brienne's purpose? Right. And it's easy to get caught up in all the noise. And again, the noise is so much different now in this era of social Mm -hmm. media and the Mm -hmm. Internet when it's so easy to compare yourself to other people. Mm -hmm. Like before when I was and it's crazy, too. I thought about this last night when I was going through those photos and memories thinking of if I would have even been able to do what I did Mm -hmm. if I had if if social media was like it is now. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I oh might have really, I might have really second guessed myself in a lot of things and saying, "Oh, but my, but my dessert doesn't have two hundred thousand likes or whatever, so it must right. not be good." Like, well, especially when you were doing crazy. a different dessert every day for a whole year, right? Which is crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. So I think it's important to to understand too that there. It's great that we have all of these sources of connections and especially global connection is powerful in this time to know that there's women on the other side of the world that yes. might not speak the same language yeah. or have the same religion or cultural um, norms, yeah. but they're going through the same thing too. So it's it's powerful to see the power in that, but it's also finding that balance of saying, okay, but there's only one you and you got to do you and you can't get caught up in what this person's doing and comparing yourself and thinking, Oh, I'm not, but I'm not here and everybody else is here. Like they're not. And understanding too, that these things are highlight reels. Like it's not, it's not always real reality. It's not always the real thing. Like I just, just the other day I was waiting for um, a client to pay me and I, I was just like, it was right after the holidays, you know, mm-hmm. people are broke. Like sure. you're just, you're on your last legs. It's the end of the year. Yeah. Um, and I like rolled some coins up and <laughs> I like sure. went through my coin chart. I'm like, you know what? Sure. I'm going to got to do what I got to do. But it was funny cause I went to the bank and you know, I, I looked nice. I tried to feel, yeah. tried to put time into yeah. looking nice. And I was walking down the street and I was just thinking, you know, these are the moments where somebody might be looking at me and look at this girl on the Upper East Side with sure. her like nice coat and her yeah. fashion or whatever. But I got coin, roll right, the right, coins right, in right, my right. bag, people. Like, right. I, like it might look like I'm, exactly. <laughs> might look like everything's all together. But you know, it's it's right. sometimes you're in those transitions, and it's okay. Like, it is okay. it's okay to talk about it, and there's no shame in that. There's no right. shame in me saying I'm starting something new. So yeah, oh, sure, I am making sacrifices, of and course. yeah, I'm pinching pennies and literally rolling coins to right. try to make my dreams happen right and it's okay like it's awesome. to talk about that yeah right. it's awesome and i think 
the only thing we can do about that with the social media, um, because even if a person like you, you know, sometimes gets drawn into to looking at what other people are doing, it's every one of us is is you know is guilty of it. So, not guilty, but you know, we're subjected to it and it affects us. So we just have to keep reminding each other that you know, you do you. Right. Do not look at someone else and think, well, why am I not an Aspen? Right. You know, why am I not doing this? Because you're right. not supposed to be an Aspen right now. That's not in the cards for you right now. But one day, you know, you might be there. And who knows if they're there, absolutely miserable. But they just, you know, took a quick photo of themselves and they look like they're yes. having fun for the Instagram post. So it's truly, if you can just stay in your lane. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. And know, again, that it's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to be easy. Right. It's not everything just handed to you on a silver platter all the time. And mm-hmm. and honestly, for the people that do get that, I feel bad for them, too. Oh, sure. Because they're going through their own struggles of Something's not coming. knowing yeah. what it feels like to really work for something. Not knowing what it feels like to... Yeah. Because it's all balance. So right? Important. When you, yeah. you, can't, you can't feel the joy if you can't feel the pain right. and when you numb out the pain you numb out the joy right that's exactly true and something will will happen eventually too that they might not be able to handle um yeah what has been the biggest challenge you've ever faced oh man <laughs> i feel like right now i'm kind of in it to be real <laughs> yeah um you know i just turned 30 so saturn return is always a big shift but uh again just sometimes i think it's it can be challenging when you do accomplish things early on in your life and this is also something i don't feel ashamed of talking about for a while i did mm-hmm. i felt shame talking about but i did all the things i wanted to do by the time i was right. like 25 and right. then i didn't know what to do right um it, it, it's okay to evolve as a person and to understand that again those seasons in life sometimes something works for you and you go for it and then things shift and it's okay because again you only have one life and you can maneuver that in different ways it doesn't have to just be oh you do this and now you are bound to this mm-hmm. i really had a difficult time i can't remember if we talked about this but um i was on undercover boss with mm-hmm. marcus samuelson and i was doing these candy rings and at the time like i thought that that was like gonna be my path like i was gonna have a the first candy ring jewelry shop it was Cute. gonna be in soho and it was like i had it all i had yeah. it all planned out but then, like, the Women's March stuff happened, and right. my, my priorities shifted completely. Right. But it was really difficult because the episode aired <laughs> in, like, June of 2017 when I'm in the heart of right. traveling around the, the world, serious. speaking right. on what had just happened six months ago. And and then I this episode aired, and it was such a challenge for me because I had all these people reaching out what are the rings what about the rings this and that Mm -hmm. and then I'm doing this other thing and I'm asking myself 
do I want to be making rings? And if, is it bad if I don't? Is it bad that I give up on this? But I worked mm-hmm. so hard and I got this like national global right. recognition from this huge platform. And now, now what do I do? And yeah, it's sometimes hard when you're in those situations and maybe it's not that exact situation because mm-hmm. I know that was unique. But the point is, is when you finally get something that you maybe wanted but you've just evolved as a person or your priorities have shifted that can be a really challenging space to navigate and for anybody listening that's in that space i feel you it's it's challenging but even more important to be taking that time for yourself Mm -hmm. and really looking inward and saying okay what do i need what do i want and you might not have that answer right away too and that's okay this can change and evolve but it's important to just try to live in the present understand that it really is just one day at a time and sometimes um i love listening to amanda seals her podcast Mm -hmm. is what's been getting me through the past few months lately but she talks about how sometimes you have to you might be putting 10 bricks on uh some something you're trying to build and then there might be times when you're only able to put one brick here or there, sure. but you're still building, you're still growing on that. And even when you are multifaceted and have different passions or different things you're trying to pursue and seeing which one is the best fit, it's important to just keep going. And even if it is just a little bit at a time, it helps to be continuing to build regardless well it's all coming i mean you know i know now whenever things get bad um i know oh i'm excited now because something the, the ones are about <laughs> yeah. to change i mean yes, it's just the way life true. goes right so it's when true. you think this is just absolutely horrible the next day you get that phone call or whatever plus i think when you're sitting still things are happening too i mean you know whatever is your next with stir the nation and things like that it's brewing i'll just right. put it that way yeah and when you look back you'll be like so i did this which led to this which led to this i'm seeing how it's all coming together in a beautiful pattern and so there's i'm just very a, excited for me you. too and there's right now <laughs> i don't know when this episode's gonna air but mm-hmm. it it's been a challenging 2020 already and i think <laughs> it was challenging close out of 2019 uh, in this yes. last decade for so many people for so many so many people and that's encur- that was encouraging to oh, yeah. see that people talking about like damn this was a hard it was. year it <laughs> like was. this was all this was not like i don't remember feeling like this at the end of Me neither. 20 so um, just 2009 and 2020 but this was like I think we as a collective felt the closeout of this decade yes. and this new decade. And it's exciting, though. Yes. And and when you are having such a huge transformation on a global level like we are right now, of course, like things are going to be pinging up that might be challenging for you or learning what you need to let go of or what is meant to be in your life or learning what still gets you out of bed every day and mm-hmm. things that might not anymore and mm-hmm. and all of that's okay so again anybody going through that transition right now or trying to figure things out you're not alone a lot of us are there but to your point it's also a sign things are coming oh things yeah are think good things are shifting and oftentimes like diamonds are formed under pressure right like you have to have that moment of 
challenged because you can't experience the joy and the happiness mm-hmm. and the peace and fulfillment without feeling all of the things that are opposite of that. Right. That's a very good point. Good advice. I love that. How has creativity helped you in your life? Oh, again, I think that this is something that so many people have that creativity inside of them. They have that artist inside of them that's very often shut out at a young age. And this is something Brene Brown talks about a lot, too, where so many people, even when it's as simple as like their kindergarten teacher yeah. telling them that, oh, like that's not the right color for that tree. And all of a sudden, you know, the purple tree is, that was shut down. down And it's shutting out a bigger piece of what they're essentially saying is, oh, that's not socially acceptable and Mm -hmm. that's not the norm. So therefore, it's not good. Mm -hmm. It's not worthy of a gold star. Mm -hmm. And that mentality can really get into, um, get in the way of so many things and when you think about just all of the potential that even even especially for women uh i have conversations with this with my girlfriends a lot on just how much farther along as a society we would be if not just women had equal rights and uh equal opportunities to create but if we were all just embracing our inner creatives in general Mm-hmm. and not feeling this heaviness of societal expectations or, oh, I'm not going to create this or I put something out, I put my art out, but it only got like three likes on Instagram, mm-hmm. so I'm going to stop because clearly it's not good enough. Like, all mm-hmm. of that has to go. Yeah. And, and when you are able to create and whatever that create out, creative outlet is, um it's important to be putting that out in the world because that's when you're able to further connect with yourself and further find the things that bring you joy and bring you peace. And then you have something in your toolbox when you are having those moments of difficulty. Like so many times I, before I became a chef, when I was going through difficult times, I would go in the kitchen and I'd cook a meal. And when that becomes your career, it can be challenging because now all of a sudden, what was my creative outlet becomes work. And now what is my creative outlet? Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> and now you have to like find other ways. And I've been working on that for sure and exploring things like writing's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like physical activity, like boxing mm-hmm. is good. Um, I know several people who have started painting after, especially yes. after a loss. Yeah. They can just sort of get it out. Yeah. Whatever works for you. And that's why it's important to encourage people to embrace that. And Mm -hmm. to our conversation earlier, like it it can be challenging for when you are actually a professional in those spaces. But it's understanding to the flip side of people need that creative outlet. So if that's what that does for them, if that's what works for you, then by all means, great. But again, I think that anybody can be an artist and mm-hmm. for people that are actual artists and they do that for their job and they make their living off of that like awesome like you are inspiring so many people mm-hmm. and it's important to look at it that way instead of the way of look at all these 
comp competitors or yeah. or I'm the one that really knows what they're doing and right. no one else does or what what have you but yeah it's that creative outlet is so needed right now in this mm-hmm. climate Okay, you tell me if you want to talk about this or not. What words of strength can you pass along to any women listening that may have been sexually harassed by a boss, mm. as you were? Now I need to talk about this because that's a lot of women. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, you know, this was something that was really painful when I was leading the protest against um, Brett Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. And it was painful because... I didn't realize until that moment I hadn't dealt with my story mm-hmm. and so many women hadn't until mm-hmm. that moment. And when you're listening to other people's stories, because we were going to every single senator's office and trying to speak with them or their chief of staff before this vote. And we were sharing our stories of assault and abuse. Mm-hmm. And it was really challenging because some of these same faces you're seeing for three weeks on end, mm-hmm. which, by the way, they weren't all living in the DMV area. They some we had people from Alaska flying in. Like this was wow. this was a huge huge moment, mm-hmm. huge moment because it was a lifetime a- mm-hmm. appointment, right? And to have people that you're in the same space with, and then after two weeks, so, there were some people that it wasn't until the last day that they told their stories mm-hmm. and you're just thinking oh my god you've been <laughs> I had no idea that this happened to you too like there was this one woman that she's uh, she on CNN because CNN was covering one of our sit-ins um, she told her story for the first time and she was like my husband doesn't even know this and I've been wow. married to him for over 20 years wow women are just taught to suppress these things and that's society in a lot of ways oftentimes it is our abuser mm-hmm. threatening us I'm by sure. saying you, you're going to lose your job or you're not going to get the promotion you need or no one will believe you yeah and guess what a lot of times unfortunately that is the case but in that moment we saw this with me too we saw it around Kavanaugh and we still see it when people do share those stories not everyone might believe you, but know that like I'm gonna believe you. Yeah, <laughs> women that have been there will believe you, and not even just women, like people in general. Mm-hmm. But it's important to stay strong. Mm-hmm. Know that this doesn't have to define you. It's gonna be challenging. It it's going to it might impede you in ways. And it's okay to admit that and allow it and feel it, but it's also important to find that resilience. And sometimes the healing comes through creative projects quite often. Like you said, losing a loved one and then painting as a way to heal. Mm -hmm. You can also heal through art in general. And unfortunately, when these things happen, it can rock your world upside down and anybody listening that has gone through that understands that and it's also important to understand that that healing process is going to look different for everybody some people they might be able to bounce back a lot quicker than others if you were sexually assaulted years ago and you're still dealing with that pain it's okay 
it's not like, oh, well, you should be over that by now. Mm-hmm. No, that is something that will always be in your, a part of you, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And it's not right. It's not fair. It's not okay. But to be able to take that moment, whatever, whatever it is, and reclaim the power you have in it, reclaim the power of healing, reclaim the power of ensuring that, like, I know some women and me, I'm one of them where I, the, the last job that I lost because my boss assaulted me, that was when I said, I'm never working for anyone again. I Mm. will only work for myself. I will only, um, hire people that I feel uh, won't ever be in a situation like that or mm-hmm. or I just know they don't have that kind of candor mm-hmm. and I won't tolerate this behavior and that's another reason why we need more women in leadership positions mm-hmm. it's another reason why we need more women leading and especially in restaurants we need women mm-hmm as executive chefs because Mm -hmm. you're creating that culture and you're the one creating that if in the food industry six and ten americans work in the industry so when that's your first experience or if that's just like experience you have in general early on in your working career that absolutely is going to affect how you navigate other workplaces Mm -hmm. whether you are the victim or the perpetrator and that's another reason why I'm so passionate about shifting the culture in the food industry since it does touch so many people. And oftentimes, again, you're 15 years old working at a restaurant mm-hmm. washing dishes or you're working in fast food or whatever you have mm-hmm. to do. Um, but yeah, I think that that healing process looks different for everybody. And it's, again, finding ways for the pain because it's never going to go away it's a piece of you but now how can you make that your superpower how can you channel that into making the difference and preventing this behavior and it's one of the reasons why the easiest thing we can do about it is simply talking about it and yeah there was a lot of men that came up to me that i'm scared to be a man in this me too era well you don't have to be scared if you're not the one engaging in it if you're not the one doing it and guess what if you were if you did it's okay. Own up to it and be better right. and commit to changing and not just say you're going to change out of fear, like mm-hmm. commit to changing by again, listening to other women, not putting yourself in those situations, consuming content that isn't perpetuating this narrative and just not engaging in that. And yeah, that that goes back to peer pressure and all those other things. Like I know that toxic masculinity is like a huge conversation right now and I think that we don't talk enough about how men should be showing up and even just from a young age how these like gender norms are reinforced and oftentimes this behavior like I know men that have perpetuated this because their father did or because their uncle did or for whatever reason or maybe they didn't even have a father figure in their life. Mm-hmm. So they learned how to quote unquote be a man from movies or TV or whoever was in their neighborhood, whoever they were learning from. And again, I think it's important to understand that everybody has a story. Everybody has things that have been inheritantly passed down to them generationally that they maybe don't even know why that they have these qualities and traits but 
it doesn't have to you don't have to pass it down it can stop with you and that does take a lot of work it takes a lot of work it takes your taking your ego out of it it takes humility but um i do have hope for that and i will never dismiss anybody mm-hmm. even if you've come from a difficult background and or even if you maybe have perpetuated narratives that you no longer believe or you no longer want to continue to support but people can change and i think that that goes back to this cancel culture and how we're so quick to dismiss people and oh write them off mm-hmm. i think that's so dangerous mm-hmm. actually because so dangerous. it's so dangerous and for me even my own personal story like a lot of people don't know this but I mean, I grew up Republican. Like, mm-hmm. I grew up sure. conservative. And I certainly don't right. <laughs> adhere to a lot of those philosophies anymore. Mm-hmm. I think, in general, the Republican Party's evolved and changed a lot mm-hmm. to where it is now. But that's another conversation. And I don't even want to, like, talk politics necessarily. Right. But look at me. Like, <laughs> I I helped start the Women's March. Right. Like, and I had this background that I have evolved from Mm -hmm. and again it's important to understand that people can change and evolve but again when you have been the victim of somebody that has wronged you and you've been the victim of somebody that has caused pain and trauma Mm -hmm. in your life it's really difficult but no you're not alone and know that you can channel this experience into not only healing yourself, but healing other people. That's great. And I really like the fact that you mentioned it's not like all men are inherently evil. Right. You know, and there are some great men and we can't do without men. I mean, you know, but they have like the societal norms need to change. And also, like you said, if someone has behaved that way in the past, it doesn't mean they're shut out forever. Right. It just means they have to prove that they have learned better. Right. And showing up in an authentic way. Right. And that's hard. <laughs> that is hard. Right. And not just showing up in a way of, Continuing oh, I'm going to say I'm up. sorry because, like, I'll be, right, like, whatever if I don't. Um, because, like, that's... Oh, yeah. Women no, can no, smell no, that, no, too. No. Sure. Like, we can, we can smell that, too. Really when it's like, up. you're not really sorry. You're just, I mean, look at Harvey Weinstein right now. Right. And yes, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've talked about how you find ways to stay positive in this crazy world that we're in. But what I want to know now is where can people find you? Meaning, do you have a website? I do have a website. Okay. So, um, bybrianne.com is just my personal website. And then stirthenation.org mm-hmm. is um, what I'm building right now. And again, like Stir the Nation, it's, it's, I'm really excited because mm-hmm. for me, this is something I've been thinking about for pretty much since right after the Women's March. And I just didn't have the courage to really go out on this. Um, for a while, I've ha- I dealt with some imposter syndrome. Like, sure, who do you think you are that you could do something like this? Right. Like, with your knowledge and experience. And you know, I'm grateful that the last three years I have been learning and listening and trying to gain experience in spaces and not just being so quick to put all this stuff out there without understanding 
where things came from without understanding how movements have started and and been led from people of color and people that have been um, uh, marginalized from society and what that looks like. It's important to understand your history. Um, That being said, though, I feel so hopeful because I want to be a part of the solution specifically when it comes to creating corporate culture and we talked a lot about this on this podcast and just how it's so important to be in an environment where you do feel empowered where you do feel like you can you're not gonna have to worry about somebody Mm -hmm. um uh, abusing you in that way at work um feeling respected right but if we want to shift culture and social norms a lot of times it is working with these brands that are defining the culture and working with influencers that are influencing, right? (laughs) So what I'm hoping to do um, with Stir the Nation and the whole mission of this is, you know, we are right now an agency where we are using food as a tool to have conversations around uh, social impact and creating change taking action because again people don't want to just be talking about it they want to know how to do it and for me food is the best way to do that whether it's from creating a dinner experience that is engaging folks from a demographic you're trying to reach or maybe a demographic you've excluded and they're feeling hurt and you are understanding the impact of that or if it's just working internally with a team on diversity and inclusion and being able to create a more intersectional workplace um one of the best things i did a couple years ago was i spent the summer um getting certified from cornell university in diversity and inclusion and Mm -hmm. trying to immerse myself in just the knowledge and education Mm -hmm. around this and the importance of it so being able to use that piece of my experience as well Mm -hmm. as just real world experience Mm -hmm. whether it's from the food industry or just from navigating these spaces I've been in the last few years, but it's so important to have that. And, and also to be not just, um, the, like there's that corporate arm of stir the nation, but there's also the community arm of mm-hmm. stir the nation where it is more showing people how to take action in things like climate change by changing mm-hmm. the way you eat, being able to support women owned brands and farmers mm-hmm. and showing people how to do that, showing how to waste less food mm-hmm. and repurpose food scraps um, as as needed because we just can't keep going at this rate and people know that, but it does start with us. And I just am so excited to use my <laughs> hodgepodge of experience mm-hmm. and knowledge to try to like channel it into right. creating that tangible change. So yes, you can find me from that um, Instagram. I'm pretty active too, uh, which by Brienne and Stir the Nation, uh, both handles are great. Um, and then on my website too, I have my email. Mm-hmm. I, I try to yeah. be, I try to be an open door, and I love mm-hmm. talking with people, and I love being able to share my story and perspective. Because again, that is, mm-hmm. it's it's so, I've been on the other end of things, right. receiving end, when I've heard somebody share their story or perspective and be like, oh great, it's not just me. Right. So I'm hoping to be able to do that too. Yeah, I think that's great. And I, I'm hoping to, um, 
you know, when you think of food and getting together at a meal, it's a happy, uplifting, sustaining type thing where some of the activism right now has been so angry and men feel super threatened and they say women are hysterical and everything and that's really not helping any of our causes so like coming together and sharing a meal and listening to each other and you know you're such a beautiful your smile and everything uplifting type person inspirational person when you talk that you can bring people because people aren't listening to each other when they're just screaming at each other that's true they're berserk everyone is you know and it's time now to settle down and have these real conversations about things that are really happening in the world right and and listen to each other you know so I think that I have great hope for Star of the Nation. Me too. I I'm really, really I'm really, really excited. Yes. And food is a connector. Food yes. is the ingredient that binds us all together. That's, That's right. one of my favorite quotes. That's great. Yeah. That's wonderful. The gift, BB. Oh, we have a little something for you. Oh my god. Stop. <laughs> Stop. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you guys are so official. <laughs> wow. Oh, this is beautiful. Open thank it up so real quick. Much. You probably already know what it is. <laughs> Brandon, it's amazing. I love it. See, I, I need something like this for Sturdenation. You do. That's beautiful. You, you tell her why we do that. So when you drink out of it, you can think about how you will live a stylish and fearless life. Oh, I love that. You know what? I actually have a story. I'm a firm believer in this simple practice. I have um, this new... Oh, God, I got to grab it. Me, I got I to have props for my story. <laughs> this mug, I'm holding up this... Mug from Starbucks from 2011. Uh huh. Um, and this was a mug I got. Uh, I got this right before I moved to New York. And I drank out of this mug. Because it says New York. I drank out of it every day, saying, you know what, you got this. Yes. You can do this. You're going to make this happen. You're going to New York. You're going to, yes, you're going to move. You're going to be okay. And I still have it. But it's so true. That's like, it's so such a simple, awesome. it's such a simple thing to, but it's practicing mindfulness. Right. Yeah. And, right. And incorporating mindfulness into something you're doing anyway. And I think that it's important when we talk about mental health and just mindfulness, staying connected, being present. Again, it's it shouldn't be like something on your to-do list. Right. Because <laughs> then it's work. But if you find ways to incorporate it into things you're doing anyway, like a mug. <laughs> By just right. saying you're going to have to drink out of this anyway, might as well use that as a source of inspiration for you. That's exactly use right. Use that as a moment to ground you before you start your day. Right. I think that's so special. So I think it's special, you. too. Something that's... Um, Concrete, yes, you know, mm -hmm. it has so much meaning, right? Right, well, thank That's you really so cool. much. Yes, thank you for coming on. We love to have you. Yes, so, so much so information. This was great. Assimilate. If you like what you heard. 
tell a friend about our show, subscribe to our podcast, and also scroll to the bottom and give a rating and or a review. Those are the best ways for other people to find out about our podcast. See you next time. Bye.